apologize. We had some crazy technical difficulties, but uh, for those that hung in there, thank you so very much. Uh, this is, uh, what is our episode number? Episode 88 of uh, Tech Sales Insights, and really excited to have uh, Jennifer Haas with us today. She is the CRO of Knock and an awesome uh, SaaS uh, CRO and has done great things, and I'm sure will continue to do great things in the future. Uh, her title topic is the modern CRO grit, hypergrowth, and embracing change. Awesome topic. Uh, we're sponsored today by Spotlight and Salesbricks. Uh, they are in the uh, up-and-comers category of sponsors for sales community. Uh, Spotlight is guiding and arming reps to become a great to become great value sellers. So think about kind of value selling and uh, kind of the importance of that. And then Salesbricks is in the uh, kind of CPQ config price quoting space. Uh, finally, a, a company fixing legacy CPQ, uh, like a delightful deal desk that results in happier sales team customers and more revenue. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But um, you know, certainly, I think it, you know any company, big or small, getting the config set, getting the pricing set, getting the quote set are, are always, you know, for lack of better words, a, a, a pain, pain in the butt. Um, so Jennifer and I were trying to figure out how we really knew each other or met. We're not sure. We think it was about ten years ago or so. So. Uh, I don't have any you know, uh, great stories about when we met, but certainly have been in touch a lot since then. Uh, definitely highly, highly respected in the industry, great reputation, extremely authentic. Um, she's had some great lessons learned uh, that she'll be sharing with us as CRO at smaller companies and then working at uh, some larger companies like Oracle. Interestingly enough, her interests are uh, boating. Uh, she's actually a yacht captain, hiking, and she does a lot to give back lives in uh, kind of goes between Seattle and Orange County. So certainly great places. And most importantly, she's a great wife and mom to two grown stepsons. So let's jump into the questions and definitely look forward to your insights. Uh, for those that are uh, watching along uh, or listening along, feel free to post any comments or or ask any questions. So maybe starting off, you can just kind of briefly let us uh, know a little bit more about Knock. Sure. So Knock is a software as a service company, SaaS company, and we focus on um, prop tech. Um, so by prop tech, I mean typically the multifamily space. So our customers are ownership groups and property management companies, and we work with all the big property management software players, um, and we focus on the front office. Oh, awesome. Really dynamic little vertical to be in. Awesome. Great. Nice to have a nice niche and uh, swim lane to focus on, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, so, our, so our title yeah. topic is uh, Modern CRO, Grit, Hypergrowth, and Embracing Change. So when you think about grit, um, kind of how, how does that come into play and you know, why do you think it's important? Yeah. So grit is one of the major things that I look for in people that I hire. Um, there are kind of three things that are like the big three that I look for. Um, does someone have grit and are they resilient? Um, are they curious and are they solution oriented? So I want to make sure that I've got folks that are willing to dive into a challenge um, and can stand up if they get a no or if they get knocked down and figure out a different solution. I want someone that's going to be able to focus on not only these are the things that need changing, but this is the solution that I think would be the best fit for us. Um, I want people that um, can dynamically change and we can get to 80% and then pivot 
and adjust because things happen fast in a startup. So perfection is kind of the, the enemy of growth, right? So we want somebody that's going to be able to iterate on the fly yep. and be able to, you know, take no, you know, not take no for an answer and figure out if the front door is closed, let's figure out how to get through the back door or the chimney or through the basement, right? So I think those are the three things that are the most important um, for folks uh, when, when we're bringing them into the company. That's great. And uh, when you said knock down, I assume no pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> no. So, so speaking about backdoor, so, you know, obviously we've, we've all had that a lot in, in our career. Kind of any uh, creative things that you've done after being being told no to be able to get back in? Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll say I... I have gone through the back door quite a few times um, in terms of like figuring out, you know, different ways. I'll give you an example. When I was early on in my career, um, I ended up figuring out that, that trade shows were a really good way to get my name out there. I was just starting out in um, medical capital equipment and I did not have any experience at the time. And I really wanted to work for GE. Um, that was my target. Uh, so I was able to get in to trade shows. I couldn't buy a ticket. They wouldn't allow me to. So I ended up having to get in a couple of other ways. I was able to set meetings at these trade shows and these um, meeting invitees would, would get me in. Um, sometimes I had to go through the kitchen. Uh, I tried to go through the traditional ways and they wouldn't allow me to. So I had to figure out a different way because I was getting in there. So that's what I'm talking about. Um, I was able to get into all of the, the big industry trade shows and I went in with my resume. And um, that was a great way to meet sales managers. So well, nobody else was doing it. The sales floor was empty when all of the um, talks were going on. So I was able to meet um, other sales leaders, other sales managers, and uh, I ended up um, meeting a good, good bunch of recruiters that way as well. And I got three offers from GE that way. Awesome. Yeah, great, great, great training ground uh, for, for sure. So that starting out as a, um, I'll say, kind of first sales job, you know, what are the, uh, you know, kind of some of your takeaways uh, and maybe thinking about you've got, you know, kind of that versus versus a startup from an early career? Yeah. So can you repeat the question? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. So basically, what are some of your takeaways from, you know, early days of that kind of, I'll say, GE sales training? Absolutely. Um, so GE was a great a great training ground for me. It was my really first enterprise uh, sales role. Um, I had done some tactical kind of SMB kind of one call close to 30 day closes. This was more, you know, six months uh, sales process. So it was a really good, effective sales ground. They, I would say is are not very tolerant of um, ramp or, you know, getting your feet under you, you have to really start and go. So yeah. it was one of those things that, you know, really honed my, my sales skill set. I would say KPIs, you know, daily, weekly, monthly KPIs and making yeah. sure that every day, do you look back at that day and say, I moved the ball forward in these three different ways. Really yeah. time management was really important. At one point I had 16 states and I had to figure out what the low hanging fruit was. That was really important because um, if you are focusing on the wrong things and you have to prioritize uh, and you're not prioritizing the right things, then you're yeah. never going to be able to meet your goals. So I would say time management was was huge. Um, cold calling. I mean, I remember uh, doing, you know, 70 to 100 cold calls a day. 
Um, then I would set my meetings and my weeks around certain geographies so that I could hit, you know, Seattle and Portland and the surrounding area for four or five days and then pop back, um, you know, pop back home and then regroup. So it was just constant, you know, I would say that grit, grit comes back up, you know, are you, you, go, are yeah. you right things every day, every week? And are you making sure that you're not just hiding in, in busy work? Are you moving the ball forward? Yeah, for sure. And those are all, all, all great kind of, you know, kind of sales one-on-one things that, you know, people should be doing these days, you know, probably, you know, truth be told, not, not as much as they should. Um, so we have a question from Jesse. And uh, for those that are watching along or listening along, certainly please feel free to uh, comment or ask any questions. Basically, uh, he asks, have you had to bail your sales team out of Google or LinkedIn jail? Too many connections. So um, I think the LinkedIn jail is if you have over 30,000 connections, which may not be the case uh, with, with some of your folks, but certainly um, with, with Google email delivery, uh, do, domains these days can be getting hurt. So your cold outreach can be going into junk, uh, which, which is a big bummer, of course. Uh, have you uh, seen any of that? Yeah, so we have dealt with that um, before, and we have a, a specific marketing team that is is working to make sure that that doesn't happen. So um, right now we're good, but yes, definitely something that um, your marketing and sales team need to need to keep in in touch with, and making sure that you're that you are um, able to deliver all of those those yeah. emails. Right, <laughs> if you are. If you have a big broad subset of your potential TAM or your potential SOM that you are emailing out to and it's either not getting there or you're getting a lot of unsubscribes or you know, you're know you not able to deliver, that would be a huge impact on the business. We've had that happen, but it's also tied into the rest of our business as well. So if we go into jail, our customers go into jail. So it's something that we're very tightly focused on. There you go. And then uh, what about hyper growth? Yeah, so hyper growth, obviously, really, really important as a startup. Um, it is important to continue to iterate, you know, the companies that, you know, get to from 1 million to 5 million, you can run that differently than 5 million to 20, right? 20 to 50 is a whole different iteration. And I would say, you know, when you're focusing on hyper growth, you've got to really focus on the right team at the right stage. And then who are your investors? What are the goals of your investors of the entire company and making sure that you are aligning your talent with the goals of the company at the stage that you're at? That's really important because what gets us here doesn't necessarily get us there. So you need to be able to iterate and, and change with your business. There are things that I call um, people call you know, the buckets, um, pulls and corks, right? So you've got folks that can really iterate and change and scale with your business as it grows as kind of like a, a growth strategy. And some people can expand and grow with the business and yep. some really like certain stages of a business. Um, some are more generalists and some can be more specialists. So as you get into larger and larger companies, this, the, um, the different roles get more myopic and they get deeper. Um, when you're a generalist and you're kind of wider, you go an inch deep on a bunch of different topics and everybody wears 20 hats. Some people really like that. Other folks are more cut out to, to be specific, you know, um, specialists and go deep right. with a, a specific topic or a specific role. And that's kind of more where we're getting to right now as our organization expands. 
Gotcha. So some, and people you, can you, and some people just really like a certain stage and you, you have to kind of move on or they will self-select out as you get into these, you know, more specific roles. Yeah. So around that, you, you talked about embracing change, but if you think about kind of figuring out, you know, who's on the boat or not on the boat, any, any things you've done there? Yeah. So um, attitude is, is a really big deal. You know, you want to work with, with folks that are positive, but that are also real. Um, you know, folks that are too positive and, and not willing to see, you know, any challenges that can be difficult because if you're not willing to, to look at things pragmatically, um, you can't fix challenges if you don't see them. Right. But then on the other side, you also have to be positive and be able to focus on the good as well, because if you want to focus on the negative, there's there's always plenty. Right. There's there's challenges and and issues. But, you know, keep focusing on where you're going as a company and make sure you're, you're focusing on the things that you can change and the things that you are in your control. And the, that's when it gets really fun. Yeah, one, one thing I did uh, years ago at HP, I had a team that was um, just about 4,000 folks. And uh, I remember at a uh, kickoff, you know, getting up and just saying, kind of based with my management team, kind of here's the priorities, here's the focus areas that we want to do. And here's here's kind of what's important to us in terms of your performance and your attributes and kind of would go through them. And I could tell by looks on some of these people's faces, I said kind of, you know, obviously there's some of you that are, I'm new, so I don't know, but there's some of you that are for sure doing these. And there's, you know, probably most of you are not. And you've, you know, uh, shame on the company, you've probably not been trained in these areas. So we're happy to help train you to improve in those areas or if it's something you just look at and say i don't want to do it please self-select so you know sometimes getting people to self-select you know in an honorable way is, is good for everybody because then you don't you, then you just don't you know drag things along right yeah i think that's important and it's it's part of what i call acquiring a team you know when i come in to a new organization you know that first 30 to 90 days is absolutely critical as you know randy right. So um, it is really important to be able to acquire the team, ask a lot of questions, get to know people, get to know the, the culture of the organization, the tribal knowledge. Um, so just kind of absorb and be a sponge and come in with what I like to call non-pointy elbows. You want to come in a bit soft, right? You don't want to no. come in, swing in and assume that you know everything, you know, more than yep. anybody else at the company. You got to learn and absorb and figure out, you know, um, figure out what you can change, what's worked well, what has not worked well. So I like to put together a SWOT and I like to put together a stop, start, continue as kind of a way to enter into an organization. I like to find out what the company goals are, what people's personal goals are, because mentorship is super important to me. Mentorship and sponsorship um, and, and, you know, all goes with leadership and developing your team's um, so that they can get what they want in their careers as well. This isn't just, you know, only company goals are important. People's right. people goals are important as well, or they won't stay with your company. So that's important. And then figuring out what's the low hanging fruit. What are the things that I can control? What's in my jurisdiction? What are the things that have been tried? Where are the gaps? How can I fill them? And then figure out what levers can I pull and what levers in the first 90 days can I pull to have the biggest impact on the business in a positive way? with the least amount of disruption. So I want to disrupt our, our customers the least amount possible and our teams the least amount possible and have the best benefit for, for the business in the short term and then start putting together that longer term, you know, 12 to 24 month strategy. Absolutely. And then uh, you, you were kind enough to uh, contribute uh, in my book, your go-to sales advisor. Uh, you're, you already touched on one of them, uh, the three ships, mentorship, sponsorship, leadership. So. 
thanks for heading me off on that. Uh, but then you've got another really good one that's uh, lots of lessons learned. We can do a whole, whole show on it, but hopefully maybe you know come up with uh, you know three four uh, highlights. But uh, you know questions to ask when thinking of joining a startup, and you know we don't need to get in the details, but obviously you were burned for lack of better words. So um, kind of what are maybe you know kind of th three four key uh, questions you have learned to ask uh, going forward. Absolutely. So I would say it's all a learning experience. So, you know, all of these things, you know, if you are used to being in large companies, um, you know, it's a different due diligence process, right? So um, if you're dipping your toe into early stage startups, you know, wonderful, amazing opportunity to learn super, super fast. So talk about hyper growth in terms of learning. Wow. Right. So I came from GE, HP, Cisco and Oracle. Um, very different to move into the startup startup land. Um, I would say startups, you know, much faster paced, very different skill set, running an, an entire PL, um, having a, a, a chief title. You know, if you want those kinds of experiences, which oftentimes if you're even in um, the SVP level in these large companies, you don't get, it's a really nice balance to a skill set in a Fortune 50 um, executive role. Um, so I would say in terms of due diligence and the questions to ask, I would say, you know, really dive into the numbers, really dive in and make sure, you know, the checks and balances, trust but verify. Um, I would say that the biggest thing that I would do is reach out to folks that either work at the company or used to work at the company. That was one thing that I never join a company without reaching out to folks that have worked there and can give yeah. me a true idea of um, good, the good, the bad and the ugly. And I don't mind um, big, hairy problems, right? Like I don't mind challenges. It is the reason why I'm typically drawn to companies is because, gosh, I've seen those challenges before. Um, they're exciting to work through. Um, they're fun to solve and it makes things dynamic. You are always going to have, you know, good, juicy challenges to work on um, with startups. So. I would say just make sure that you have an appetite for the specific challenges that are the biggest ones right now for that startup. And, you know, again, ask the questions, dive into the financials, um, talk to talk to a board member, talk to the C-suites, make sure that the executive team is functioning well, make sure that you're looking at, um, you know, the board decks, that you're looking at the rolling 12 and you really understand where the company has been and where it's going. Make sure that things are reasonable. Make sure that things are tracking. Make sure you're excited. You've yeah. got to be curious and excited about the opportunity, about the vertical, about the customers. Um, so startups are across the board. So as much questions as you can ask, you know, make sure make sure that you that you add some more due diligence time when you're joining a startup because it's really important to dive into what you're really going to be doing. And then yeah. also your span of control, understand your span of control and what you have the autonomy to do. For sure. And then um, I think from a you know contractual obligation perspective, people are always going to be verbal saying, oh, we'll do this, we'll do that. And then, you know, unless you get it in writing, it's, it's not going to happen. So, um, you know, that's, yeah, I think across the board, I've seen that. Uh, right, good point, Randy. Seen that a lot. So moving on. So I know you're passionate about authenticity and uh, that you'd rather address the messiest challenges first. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I'm kind of an eat the frog kind of person. Um, you know, I like to. What would you say? Eat, eat the frog? Eat the frog. Have you ever eat heard of that? Frog. <laughs> no. Eat the frog. There you go. 
So it's the um, the biggest challenges first, right? Like whatever you really don't like to do. So if you're at Orange Theory and you really hate those, you know, um, the the long runs or the fast runs or the hit training, um, yeah. do that first. Get it out of the way so you don't have to worry about it. Um, yeah. so I would say that's that's kind of I, I go towards the challenges first. Get those out of the way. But I don't like to put blinders on. You know, I'm a, I'm a positive person, but I, I I feel like I'm more of a pragmatist. So. I, I look at things not through rose-colored glasses. I look at things as they are, and then I focus on what's the positive stuff. Okay, great. And then uh, how do you inspire authenticity in your teams? So authenticity in my teams, you know, I, I like to be as transparent as possible. Some things I can't share, but, um, you know, I like to... I like to be as open and honest as possible. I find that if people know the reason behind why the the why behind you know where you're going, it really helps them to get on board. Gotcha. And uh, you, you've had some great posts uh, for sure. One was uh, if you can maybe explain combating artificial harmony's seductive pull. <laughs> So, um, you know, everybody always wants to feel like everything's perfect, right? And nobody likes to hear, you know, feedback and constructive feedback. You know, yep. it, it's difficult, right? So if you don't make a safe place for people to be able to be authentic and to be able to give feedback, um, authentic feedback, and it's not a, safe, a psychologically safe place, then, then you're not going to get feedback, right? And you're not going to change in, in the right way. And just because you're not hearing the feedback doesn't mean that people aren't talking about it or not feeling that, right? So if there are things that are in my control to change, I want to know about them so that I can authentically deal with them because there might need to be changes. Cultures shift, things change, different needs for um, different people that you hire, different verticals, different geographies, you know, different people need different things. So um, if I can adapt and, and, and give folks what they need and change with, uh, with the needs of the company, then I'm going to do that. Certainly. And then uh, another great one was uh, about effectively reducing politics on your teams. Yeah. So that's, that's another thing is um, just being, being transparent, um, also kind of nipping things in the bud. If you see someone digging a hole under someone else, you know, making sure that that doesn't happen. Oftentimes I see in, in large companies, these kinds of things happen. Someone reaches the edge of their skill set, And instead of just focusing on getting better themselves, sometimes it's easier for certain kinds of folks to dig holes under other people. Um, that's something that is never healthy in an organization. Um, also skip leveling, you know, making sure that if you are an executive leader, that you're supporting your managers and your directors and your VPs under you to be able to be leaders in their own right. And that you don't have people skip leveling and um, reaching out to you to handle things that should be handled um, by their leader. I understand that certain things go off the rails and you might need to step in. But as much as you can empower your leaders to be leaders themselves, it helps them grow and helps them um, be able to have that executive gravitas that is important as you're leading a team. So I like to empower my team. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, I'm sure, especially as a leader, I mean, I always find it useful to say, okay, you know, the, you know, it sort of theoretically the buck stops with me as a leader. So if there's issues or complaints or whatever, just come to me. And if you got to skip level, you know, who cares? But you know, the, the enemy's outside, not inside. But unfortunately, <laughs> people's wacky behavior, and especially now with Zooms, it's harder to do that face to face. So there's a 
you know, probably, you know, increased level of, you know, passive aggressive and, you know, things like that that happened to you. Uh, you brought up some great points. Uh, you As also mentioned- I respect the chain of command to start. I understand that there is, there's always reasons why it would be appropriate to, to skip level. At right. least I expect there would be an attempt to handle it directly with, you know, any challenge right. directly with the person that created it. Sure. And you also, um, have a great quote from John Maxwell. We're never down. We're either up or getting up. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I, I, it, it fits my growth mindset. You know, I am, uh, I have a growth mindset and I know that if there's something I don't know, it's something that I can learn and I can, I can grow into that. So I think that's not, it's a good reminder, um, to make sure that, you know, if you don't know something right now, it doesn't mean you're not always going to know it, like learn it, figure it out, become an expert in that, you know, if, we're not born with what we've got. We can yep. we expand our skill set and stretch. And I feel like a day without learning is a day wasted. So I'm always trying to grow and stretch myself into new situations. Wow. So the ne next one, uh, Jesse and I did a, um, I forget what it's called on LinkedIn, but it's LinkedIn's version of a clubhouse yesterday on, on getting to the C-suite. And I wish I would have mentioned this, but um, you, you say of asking for time from an exec, be brilliant, be brief, and be gone. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think that it is, uh, you know, execs, we want to help, right? We want to help grow people's careers. We want to do favors for folks. I always like to watch out for folks, but it's really helpful for me uh, if, if someone can be very clear on what they need from me and how I can help them. And if I can't help them, I'll try to get them to somebody else that, that can. Uh, but the ones that really need help iterating and figuring out what you need that takes a lot of time. So if you can help someone out and, you know, be brilliant, be brief, be gone. This is what I need. This is how you can help me. I really appreciate it and be grateful. Be grateful they're gifting you their time and they're busy. So they're carving it out from something else that's also probably pretty important. That's great. And uh, Brian posts, figure it out. And he says, fit foes. So I think if I had to guess, that means figure it, figure it the F out. <laughs> So I got it. <laughs> Absolutely, Brian. And uh, Bri Brian, you should, Brian uh, stay on because uh, we'll uh, kind of talk about some of our uh, tools and things they're doing in, in a little bit, which you might have some interest in. Now, you also had a crazy post that was talking about the younger generation. You're wondering if people actually have two overlapping jobs. And fortunately, it looked like the response was roughly 80% people believe they do not. But is that really the case? I mean, we're not talking about like somebody that's a, you know, a, a wait, waiter, waitress at two different places. This is like tech jobs, right? Yeah. So what I was referring to was two full-time salaried jobs. I am yeah. hearing that some of the the younger folks to make ends meet are, um, are having to carry two full-time jobs, which one is sad um, because yeah. I'm sure that is that stressful. But it also left me thinking, hmm, um, you know, from an ethical perspective, if somebody is to give you know 40 to 60 hours yeah. a week here is is pretty normal you don't have the time to do two so you're right. really changing both um so from from my perspective and i think that most most agree um that if it's not one of those where you're working your salary job and then you do something at night or you're driving an uber on the weekends that's not that's not necessarily what i was referring to it's doing two full-time jobs and having to mute one um, one yeah. Zoom while you're in one another Zoom and having two different phones and basically like completely gaslighting. That yeah. is, that was a surprise to me. 
that that is something that um, is tolerated because most businesses that I've been involved in, if they found out, um, you would not have a role. That's crazy. I do a, a weekly post. You might have seen that's uh, yeah. I might be old school, but and, yeah, uh, that's definitely going to go in there. It's definitely ethics and integrity. <laughs> might be old school it, if you just have one job. I don't know. I don't know that this is the future, but um, I don't know. I don't. I don't have. I don't have the time to do two full time jobs. I, well, I just I yeah yeah yeah. And then ethics, integrity, everything else. So exactly. yeah, might be old school, but and then uh, Mike Parentino. Uh, great to see you, Mike. Says Jennifer. Awesome job. Uh, Hi, Mike. Thank, thanks, Mike. Feel free to ask a question as well. Uh, and then uh, lo love this next one. You talk about uh, uh, being told that you're appreciated is one of the simplest yet incredibly uplifting things you can ever hear. Uh, it's free, you know, to appreciate your team. Yeah. You know, it, I think it's really easy to just focus, you know, on results and celebrating results. But um, and then doing things, you know, as, as a group, you know, celebrating the group. I think it's really important to have personal reach out. So I like to carve out time um, every day and every week to make sure that I'm reaching out to folks and really appreciating this one specific thing they did or pulling in an account or, you know, everybody works really hard. And especially yeah. since you know, we're 100% virtual. So most of the time we are not seeing each other on a weekly basis, we're not in person. And to have somebody notice what you're doing and to yeah. make make a phone call or specific email or reach out on Slack, per, like personally makes a really big difference. And then also I like to make sure that I'm acknowledging people publicly as well, because that's a big deal. I wanna put people on a platform. I, it's part of sponsorship, right? So if somebody's doing something, I wanna make sure that other folks know that they're doing it. And I never take credit for anybody else's ideas. I wanna make sure that if it's somebody on my team's doing something amazing, I wanna highlight them and be a platform for them and allow them to grow. Yeah, I used to when I was at, um, I guess my last three corporate jobs were storage techs on an HP, and I sometimes just call people out of the blue, and you're like, you know, is, is there anything wrong? You know, am I getting fired? Like, no, like, are you kidding me? Like, no, I just want to say thanks, great job, and uh, also say, uh, you know, behind the scenes here, we have Tucker who is, uh, you know, sweating it out with our technical issues. So, thanks for all you do, Tucker, with this and other things. And uh, Jesse, you asked the question before. They're my. Um, uh, cohorts with the uh, sales community. So thank you, Tucker, and thank you, Jesse, publicly. Um, now, also, you've uh, been traveling for work. I saw your Cinco de Mayo in Austin. Uh, kind of how was Cinco de Mayo, and how's uh, been your uh, traveling for work? It was great. So it was actually San Antonio. So we went to San Antonio with oh, San Antonio. Our, okay, sorry. Our NOC advisory board, um, which is a subset of our amazing customer. Um, customer folks that that help support us and make sure that we've got our roadmap in the right direction. So it was a lot of fun to to celebrate and also get get feedback yeah. on our roadmap and some of our new our new offerings that we have just launched. We just went into AI, um, so we just launched our AI voice offering for um, for Knock, which is really exciting. We've gone from a single SKU company now we've launched a couple of new SKUs, and so it's uh, we're evolving at a as a company and really monetizing our individual units, which is really, really exciting to be able to slingshot our company forward and talk about that hyper growth. This is what's doing it. Well, that's awesome. And now uh, I, know, I know you're a big fan of value selling. Um, so kind of what, what, what does that mean to you and any lessons learned along the way? Absolutely. Um, so I, I think selling on price is always a race to the bottom. Um, if it's a commoditized sale, no one wins there. Um, margins just get shrunk and, you know, um, 
generic players can kind of jump in and ride on the coattails of the folks that did kind of innovate in the beginning, right? So it's something that I try to stay away from. I try to make sure that what I'm selling is differentiated um, and that there's business value um, and business impact tied specifically to the product that I'm selling or the service that I'm selling. And I wanna make sure that it's defensible and differentiated. Um, so with that, you can then get into value selling and why is this different? So you can ask the questions around the goals, around the pain points, and then you can use that to differentiate your talk track um, and really dive into focusing on the business goals of the customer and then the business impact that your specific thing or widget is going to solve. Yeah, absolutely. I always say, uh, probably broken record on this, but if you're in the elevator with the CFO and you got 30 seconds, what are you going to say? It's not a bunch of te techno mumbo jumbo. It's how you're going to help them generate revenue, save money, get a competitive advantage. If it's compliance, you know, stay out of jail. But it's kind of, you know, what, what is that true, true value? Uh, so, and uh, just for know what's worth it. Know your audience, right? Know the audience, yep. Right message, right time, right person. Yep, absolutely. And um, commercial for uh, Spotlight, uh, that, that's a lot of uh, what they do as well. So what about some examples of uh, maybe sales leaders that you respect and why? Sales leaders that I respect, my goodness. Um, I've worked with a lot of wonderful sales leaders. Um, Sue Bersamian has been um, a great uh, mentor. Sue's fantastic. Robert Vry, um, I have stayed in touch with and really enjoy working with him. Eric Coe um, has been you know, a really great leader that I work with um, very closely still. Um, Josh Brezen. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's just a ton. I mean, I can think of, you know, 20 off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, I think everybody brings their kind of specific, you know, skill set and tribal knowledge, uh, to the forefront. And it's always, it's, there's always something you can learn from every leader, either what to do or what not to do. Um, so I love to, I love to pick people's brains and I love to just kind of watch what they do. Gotcha. All right. Awesome. Uh, so we'll just say those are your four favorites. Just kidding. I know, I know there's others. <laughs> uh, so Nadav, who full disclosure was Spotlight, says uh, probably meant to say, how do you do it at scale, helping the reps, arming the champions? Yeah, it's a great question. So if you have a sales team of 100, how do you enable a sales team of 100, right? So the big thing for me is when you do have, you know, I, I'm a fourth line leader, which means that I have four layers of management under, under me. How do you make sure that you are enabling all the way down to the individual contributors? And it can be challenging. So I would say the right thing is to make sure that you're hiring the right leaders because those are the ones that are going to be empowering and enabling your sales team um, and touching them every day. So you can make sure, like when I come into an organization, I make sure that all of the, the foundation is built. Do we have the right sales stages? Is everybody trained? Do they know how to do a proper discovery? I mean, that's the biggest thing. Do they know how to ask the right questions? You can't push the sales cycle forward if you haven't uncovered what it is that makes the customer tick and what's important. So I would say, you know, making sure that they have the foundational building blocks and making sure that you have the right leaders at the right uh, levels of the organization are critical. Absolutely. Now, what about um, importance for you of uh, kind of sales ops and rev ops? And that function has definitely improved immensely over the years. 
super, super critical. So I would say I am attached to the hip to my RevOps group. Um, I have had uh, RevOps and sales ops report into me. I've had it in, you know, kind of a, a, a bit of a siloed team cross BU. There's multiple different ways to kind of organize that team, but super, super critical in making sure that the tools work together and making sure that the data integrity is, is correct and, and on target, making sure that the leads flow the way they need to, RevOps, sales ops, operations in general, super, super critical. So this is um, a big, a big team to get right and um, need to make sure that you have the right counterparts. Yeah, absolutely. So what about speaking of uh, sales tools, any uh, kind of favorites that you have? Oh my gosh. Well, we use Gong effect very effectively. Um, we use G Suite. Um, we use uh, Microsoft Office as well. We kind of go back and forth. Those are fantastic. We use HubSpot um, for our marketing side and Salesforce. So they have to work really well together. Um, we are enabling uh, NetSuite right now. So we are rolling that out. Um, Zendesk is is another one that that we are um, currently enabling. So we've got a ton of tools across all of our different BUs. You know, we are a tech company first and foremost, so it's important for us to be able to utilize the right tools. Gotcha. So maybe talk that Gong's a uh, sponsor of sales community. So certainly, I always like to give them some uh, airtime. Um, how have you found it? Use, uh, how have you found it using Gong? Uh, we love Gong. So this is one of the ways that we really make sure that we train up our reps, that we check on and make sure that they are focusing on the right things, that they're asking the right questions, that their tone's coming off well. We also really train our, our new reps um, using Gong. We give them access to all of our um, historical Gong calls as well. So it's a great training tool for us. Oh, fantastic. And uh, we both uh, have Ke Kelly is a friend in common. So she's doing a gr great job leading the company there. And then I think in our uh, prep session, you're talking about that you're um, kind of in, in investigating some ways to improve on the uh, CPQ config price and quote side as well. Absolutely. We are um, in the next uh, 60 days um, working on completing our CPT CPQ integration as well. So that is going to make sure that our data integrity, that our, um, that our contracts are all flowing through correctly. We, before I came on board, were all over the place in terms of our contracts. And this has really allowed us to... Um, put together a new pricing structure, new pricing and, and packaging, and be able to effectively roll that out across our organization as well. We're also using Ironclad, um, which is a repository for, um, uh, for our contracts as well. So between CPQ and Ironclad, we're gonna be cleaning up a lot of the challenges that we've had. Gotcha, I've not heard, so Ironclad? Ironclad. Clad, okay, gotcha, okay, for yeah. the contracts. So it's a repository for, um, you know, for our contracts so that we can easily query and look up our contracts because we've got hundreds and hundreds of customers now. So keeping all these straight, knowing when we have renewals, um, who's signed, sure. and it integrates with DocuSign, which we use as well. So yeah, yeah, lots of tools out there, really great stuff. So CPQ has been very, has been really good for us. Awesome. And so is that a, a consult, is there a kind of a consulting group or actually a kind of a platform tool that you're using in the CPQ space? I know it's not directly under you. Are you familiar <laughs> by chance? 
Yeah, I, I'm not. Um, okay. You know, it is it is more of a challenging integration. So yeah. if you have any suggestions, Randy, happy to hear it. Definitely. All right. I don't know why Brian uh, from Salesbrooks isn't chiming in, but uh, I'm sure we will follow up afterwards. Um, so mo moving on here, uh, you've been great. So for those watching along, uh, Jennifer Haas, the CRO at Knock. If uh, you want to chime in with any additional comments or questions, please fe please feel free. And uh, sorry about the late start that we had. Um, so maybe talk about any mentors that you've had and uh, kind of memorable advice that you've received. Yeah. Um, so my gosh, that's a great question. Um, memorable memorable advice. Um, the be brilliant, be um, you know, be bold and and be gone. That's that's a good one. Um, I. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one while you're thinking. I, we won't name the company, but one of your prior jobs, I said, you know, unless you get that in writing, it's not going to happen. Oh, no, no, they're going to take care of me. They're going to take care of me. And then, you know, nine months later, like, oh, my God, Randy, you're right. I, I think that a lot of these is uh, as you as you make these mistakes, all of a sudden it becomes part of your Bible, you know. And Randy, you taught me that when I'm when I'm looking for, um, you know, going into a new company, right? The, the, what do you call it? The kitchen sink list, um, you know, all yeah. the things to ask and, and, you know, to, to get buttoned up before you join a new company, I've probably doubled it as well. So I'll probably pass it back to you, but all these things, oh. all things that you live and learn, you get burned by something. And all of a sudden you're just like, all right, not doing that again. Right. Especially the painful ones. You, you, you remedy those real quick for next time. Um, yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The lessons learned. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, Ken Doherty, who's a good friend, went to a, you know, earlier stage company and it didn't work out and you know, he's kind of all bummed out and I said, hey, it's great. You know, just think all this, all the lessons that you've learned and, you know, operationally kind of forcing you to get your fingers dirty. So if you're at a, you know, for you at an HP and an Oracle, you know, there, there's a lot that you have to do, but there's a lot you don't have to do. But then going to a startup, you know, figuring out and honing those skills you know, no matter what size company you're going to be at, small or big, that just makes you, you know, that, that much, you know, better talent and, you know, better, if you want to call it better athlete, better, better coach, but certainly great going forward. What about any, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Real life MBA. And what about any advice you would give your younger self? Yeah. Um, Goodness. I would just say, you know, be patient, be kind to myself. I've always been uh, harder on myself. I have high expectations of, of myself. I hold myself accountable um, as I do others, but I have to remind myself that, um, you know, with myself, I, I need to be patient um, and, you know, relax a little bit. You know, that's, that's one thing that I, I definitely would tell myself. I've always put, put a ton of pressure on myself and it's not, not always quite as necessary. There you go. Uh, what about how you've seen the CRO role kind of evolve, right? So we had, you know, VP of sales, it was kind of just sales, now CRO, and can I, what, what do you think about that relative to, to the different functions? And then how do you see, I'll say, maybe like a marketing and customer success kind of evolving going forward? 
Absolutely. So I would say there's a bunch of different ways and different flavors that you can kind of build out, you know, chief revenue officer. Um, so no, there's not a right way or a wrong way. But um, what I've seen work the best is if the entire go to market function is under that chief revenue officer and there's kind of, for lack of a better word, one throat to choke. Right. Yep. So all of these, you know, I have put together kind of my my SAS um, playbook. Um, talking about how all of these these organizations work together, and if everything is not in lockstep, hand in glove, and you know busting up those silos, it is very very difficult because marketing is kind of the tip of the spear. They create awareness, they soften the ground for the sales team, they create a sense of urgency and an excitement out there in the market. The sales teams pick it up and kind of run with it and grab it. If you have an inside sales team, that might be an interim step and then go into the account executives that are pushing that, you know, that sales process forward. And then you go into, you know, the integration team and starting into the customer success and, you know, consulting, make sure that, you know, that customer you know, the due diligence and the discovery is completely done, that they know what the goals are, they know what the integrated, the integrated tools that you need to, to integrate if it's a SaaS organization, because all of that's important from a customer experience. So, and then going into, all right, you know, they, now they're an account that is happy and established, they're getting the value out of it. Now we want to either expand them or we want to get references, we want to sell other, you know, upsells to them. And that goes back into the sales motion, right? So it's kind of this yeah. self-fulfilling SaaS enterprise life cycle that I like to call it. And it all works so closely together. And then in lockstep, Product marketing works very closely with engineering and product to make sure, are we putting together the right product roadmap? Are we executing in the right way? Are we meeting the customers where they're at or where they're gonna be? What's the competition doing? That's all conversations between product and product marketing. So very tight integrations in all of these different groups across all of these BUs, right? So it's important to know um, how they all play together. And then as a CEO or a CRO, how does everything play across the go-to-market space? Whether it's under you or not, it has to be tightly yoked. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe um, uh, final question or close to final question here. So um, you're kind of guru on the SaaS side of things. You've already you know, touched on a lot of great things. Any other kind of nuances or best practices around kind of you know, leading sales at a SaaS company? Yeah. So I can I can tell you that if I have somebody that is polished, that they have experience with an, an enterprise sales cycle, I can teach SaaS. Um, everybody's just like, do I have to have SaaS experience to be, you know, effective in SaaS? I would say no. That's something that I can teach pretty well. What is more difficult to teach is understanding, you know, specifically some verticals are harder than others to understand and to get indoctrinated um, in our industry relationships are super, super key. So those take a yep. while to, you know, so someone that has enterprise experience and they have multifamily experience, I can teach SaaS. So SaaS is just a consumption model. Um, it yep. is not an actual technology. I've heard people talk about it as kind of a technology. It's not a technology. It's just a consumption model. And I can teach that. So um, yep. SaaS, I think, is is the way of the future. I love talking about business impact. So I absolutely love the space um, and we'd love to get more people into it. There you go. So any, any, I mean, in all fairness, a lot we just touched on is kind of, I'd say, generic to, you know, any, anybody in sales, but kind of when you say teaching SaaS, so what are any, any nuances that are within that when you, in kind of the difference with, with, uh, with selling SaaS? 
Yeah. So you're not selling necessarily something you can taste and touch. It's not like hardware and it's not a one-time sale. You're setting up um, ARR or annual recurring revenue or monthly yep. recurring revenue. So your net ARR and what you're bringing in and how you're growing that is really the focus instead of um, just revenue, right? It's, it's, you're being billed monthly, quarterly, yearly for your customers. So it's typically recurring. You have longer term customers. So they don't buy from you just like hardware, you know, one time every three years or every five years or when something wears out or when they have, you know, a new cohort of employees that come in and they need desktops, for example, yeah. or laptops. Um, it is it is an ongoing and it's almost like a. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a different way to yeah. consume. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know I said last question, but um, and then what about, you know, with this kind of the differences that you've seen with uh, kind of compensation plans relative to, you know, for lack of better words, you know, either product sales or on prem sales is the kind of one time sale versus yeah. you, pay, you can put the person on speaker. We'll say hi. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, one of my <laughs> Yeah. So, anyway, so kind of uh, any any nuances or differences with a, a SaaS comp plan? Sorry, I missed that one with that and, call coming through. Can you repeat? The yeah, question? no, right. Yeah. Any any differences with a SaaS comp plan versus a oh. you know traditional one time sale? Yes. Yes. So, um, you need to decide how you're paying on recurring revenue, right? So, differences here. So, if you sell you know a year contract, right? You're going to have a renewal the second year as long as things go well. So you have to decide, are we going to be paying on that renewal? How we do it is any new business is um, something that they're paid on. The renewals, it, as long as you don't get uh, an increase in that kind of net ARR from the customer, um, then they don't get paid on that again. So it's basically just your, your task with growing that customer. Yeah. So the top plans do change a little bit. Awesome. And it's also been interesting for the, um, I'll say some of the resellers, right? So the resellers traditionally pay on gross profit, which if you sell at one time, if you sell product for 100000 the cost is 60000 there's a profit of 40000 you pay the rep, whatever, 15, 20% on that, yeah. you know, on that gross profit. That's the old model. But then now the new model, you know, makes it a little bit harder, right? Because that channel partner isn't necessarily getting in all that profit right away. It's kind of spread Not over time. Front. Yeah, you know, lots of uh, kind of challenges and nuances there. It's metered out, right? So instead of yeah. getting one big bite, it's metered out um, sometimes over years. Yep, absolutely. So anyway, you have been fantastic. <laughs> there you go. So, anyway, so you've been fantastic. Uh, Jennifer Haas, CRO of NOC. Uh, thanks for joining our episode 88. Uh, thank you to Spotlight and SalesBricks for sponsoring. And uh, for those that are not members of Sales Community, feel free to join. You can go to salescommunity.com and you'll actually see the little uh, link that says summer free. So you can get a free year membership. And if you uh, click on that and uh, use your uh, LinkedIn, I think it takes all 15 seconds to join. And uh, for, for next week, we had our um, uh, guest that we had uh, had to reschedule. Oh, so Sean Green just says, which is great for retention. Great work, Jennifer. Absolutely. Paying over time is excellent for retention, Sean. Another great SaaS leader there. But uh, anyway, I think we are close to having Corey Dyer, who's CRO of Digital Realty. Uh, so hoping that that works out for what will be our episode 89. So for those that did watch, thank you very much. And uh, my guess is most of you are going to be watching on the recording. So feel free to pass it along and share. 
and uh, have a great rest of day and a great rest of week. And uh, Jennifer, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Randy.